I finished our series last week on why in the world are we here, but in the process of going through that series and doing the prep for the different messages that I wanted to focus on, two other passages in the book of Acts kind of came to the forefront uh, for me, and these are passages that I have preached on before, but that I felt like would be appropriate at this time and where we are as a church. I'm going to turn your attention to Acts chapter 12. I will reference the first four verses a little bit later on, uh, at least give you the background of what's going on, but I want to pick up at verse 5. It's a lengthy reading, but nothing wrong with reading the Bible, so we'll, we'll read that together. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer was being made fervently by the church of God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in, the, in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. Thinks he's in a vision. Thought he was seeing a vision. Thought he was still in the prison. Just seeing a vision. When they had passed the, the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark. It's John Mark, you see him throughout the book of Acts, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. And I'm not going to deal with that theological point right there today. But, but Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to him with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Today I want to preach just for a little bit, praying with expectation. Praying with expectation. God bless you. You may be seated. When I was 11, I had, uh, I was living in Louisiana, 1983, there was a major flood in the part of Louisiana where we were, maybe it was all over the state, I really don't know, we lived in 
town called Denham Springs, just outside of Baton Rouge. It was across the, the Amit River from East Baton Rouge Parish. And this, the Amit River, they, it flooded, and the Tickfall River on the opposite side of Livingston Parish, they, they both flooded. But where we were, our house actually was about three feet above the street level. And when the flood came, you know, we're, we're watching what's going on, and, and we're, we're watching the water come, and we're like, man, this is kind of cool. I mean, I, I was 11. I thought this was kind of exciting to see this flood water come. I wasn't going to have to pay for anything that was damaged, so it wasn't a big deal for me. And, and, and I'm watching this water come, and it got, kept getting higher and higher. And, and, and like I said, we were about, our, our, our house was about three feet, the yard was about three feet of, above the, the uh street there so as it comes up in our yard we decided it'd be a good idea just to go swimming in the street it's turned out not to be a good idea if you can imagine flood water it wasn't exactly very clean and, and in louisiana we have uh they have these ant piles and if you've never seen an ant pile uh, in louisiana you, you're you're missing out on something they sit above the ground and, and they can be tall they can be this big around and in the flood waters the ant piles would float on top of the water. Don't ask me how it worked, but as we would go swimming through there, we'd hit an ant pile, we'd be covered with ants, and, and it wasn't exactly a fun thing. But the reason I tell you that story is because it, it, I was, as I was preparing for this, and this has nothing to do with floods, my, my message has nothing to do with floods, but it does have to do with praying with expectation. And, and I'm reminded of a story, and of course, it, it's a made-up story, you may have even heard it, uh, there's a tendency for preachers to use made-up stories. And there was a man, he was, he was in a flood, and, and he's trying to escape the flood, and he, he ends up, he, he gets to the highest part of the house, and, and uh, the flood waters still come. So he ultimately gets on top of the house. Anybody ever heard this story? And, and so he's on top of the house, and, and he's praying for God to, to rescue him. And, of course, if you've heard the story, then with made-up stories, you get various versions. And so he's praying, God, rescue me. A boat comes along. And they said, do you, do you need help? No, no, I, I'll be fine. I'm waiting on God to rescue me. And a little bit later, an, another uh, boat, a form of transportation comes. And he said, no, I'm okay. I, I'm going to wait right here. And finally, a helicopter comes and says, we want to help you. Let us get it off. The, no, I'm okay. Everything's good. I'm, I'm waiting on God to he drowns. Ultimately, he gets to heaven. He said, God, why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter. What were you waiting on? He's praying for uh, uh, something to happen, but just like we do oftentimes, we pray with either no expectation or we have expectation of God responding in a specific way, a certain way. And, and if he doesn't do it our way, then we think that he doesn't answer our prayer. But we serve a God who answers prayer. We serve a God who hears us when we call upon Him. We serve a God who is listening for our call and wants to help us in our time of need. The question is, though, are we in tune with what God is doing? Are, are we fe uh, feeling after Him and, and wanting and allowing God to do things His way? When we talk about answered prayer, sometimes I talk to people and, and then... Everything they pray for gets answered. It's like, man, how are you doing that? Because I'm praying and nothing's happening. Anybody ever been there? You're praying and nothing's happening. And you talk to somebody and everything they pray is just, boom, just happening. 
And I'm not going to give you any guarantees on how to get answered prayer, but I am going to give you some principles today. I'll tell you, in 2016, 17, 18, my wife, she went through a period where it seemed like everything she prayed, God did. Every prayer she was praying, I, I didn't find this out until after God started answering prayers. That's how we ended up here. I was just going along perfectly happy in the job I was doing in St. Louis. But she had been praying that God would do certain things in our life and ministry, and now here we are. And, and when I found that out, that she had been praying for some of this, she's like, I wasn't expecting God to do it that way. I was expecting Him to do it a different way. But she went through this season where everything she's praying is, is being answered. And, and that's not all the time, but for that period of time, everything. And, and I can't tell you, how, how to get to that point. I can't tell you why that works. And, and maybe it has nothing to do with us and it's only to do with God. And he said, they need this at this time. So whatever they ask, I'm going to give. I don't know how he does it all. And, and I can't answer everything about prayer. But I do know that prayer is important. And I do know that if we do not pray, we can have no confidence that God is going to work on our behalf. It would be like expecting Somebody just to walk up and give you money for something you need if you don't tell anybody you need money. Typically, it doesn't happen. God knows, and sometimes He intervenes, but it's the same principle. If you don't ask God for what you need, and you don't ask God to intervene and God to help, then you can have no confidence that He will help. In the text that I read, Peter, of course, is in prison. The backstory of all of this is that Peter has taking the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. He goes to the household of Cornelius and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of him preaching the gospel in the middle of his message, they're filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidence with speaking in other tongues. And, and Peter says to them, well, why should we not let them be baptized? Because they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did at the beginning. The Holy Ghost is poured out on the Gentiles, and, and the reason that part of the reason that this happens is because of the persecution that is taking place in Jerusalem. So the church is beginning to spread out and beginning to go into Gentile areas to get away from Jewish persecution. And God, in, through that and, and orchestrating all of that, makes sure that they know that the gospel is for the Gentiles as well. And so Peter, though after he, the, the Cornelius gets the the Holy Spirit and his family and all of his household and his close friends that have gathered together. After that happens, Peter goes back to Jerusalem. He's going to report to the church in Jerusalem and tell them what has taken place. In chapter 11, he's primarily sharing what took place in chapter 10 and explaining how the Spirit showed him a vision and, and how he took the gospel and how they got the Holy Ghost the identical way at Cornelius' house as they did on the day of Pentecost. But now he's back in Jerusalem. He's back where the persecution is. And Herod is, is, is persecuting all of these Christians. And he's doing it because it pleases the Jews. And of course, he's wanting to make sure that the Jews are kept happy to keep down riots and all of the dissension that could take place in that particular area of the world under this Roman rule. He kills James, the brother of John. He puts him to death. He sees that the Jews are happy about that, so he takes in a bunch of, a bunch of other Christians. He, he pulls them in, and, and in that group is Peter. Peter, one of the 
course, the leaders in the church. He's now in prison. And it is there that we find our text that I read to you today was of Peter being in prison, getting ready to be persecuted, most likely going to get killed because of his belief in Jesus Christ. But the text I read said, but prayer was made. They're getting ready to to kill him, but prayer was being made fervently by the church of God. And that's the first principle I want to bring out is this, is that answered prayer is usually fervent prayer. That it's not prayer that's just kind of every once in a while. In fact, the, the word fervent here, the Greek word, means to have continual or intense prayer. If, if somebody tells you that they really want something, and they only talk about it every two or three weeks, they only look it up every two or three weeks, I'm not really sure how much they want it. It's the same thing with prayer. If you've got this need and you go, man, I really need God to do it, And every six months, you finally get around to praying about it. It's probably not intense or continual prayer. It's probably not what you're really, that you're really serious about it. I've got an 11-year-old. She probably won't won't go back and watch this. Don't tell her I said this. Whenever she wants something, she is fervent about it. Not every day. Not twice a day. It's like every hour of the day she finds a way to bring it up. And what about this? And can I do that? And, and she's, always, she's always after whatever she wants. She's passionately seeking. She's fervent in her pursuit of me buying whatever it is she wants or letting her have whatever it is she wants. And I would tell you that that's the way prayer should be. When we have something we really need, it should be a passionate, fervent, earnest seeking after God. That it should be a daily, Lord, I need you to intervene in this situation. I need you to intervene in this problem. Jesus teaches a lot on prayer. He tells about the the widow that is going to the unjust judge. And she she keeps talking to him and he keeps putting her off and she keeps going back and he keeps putting her off and he finally says, I've had enough. He says, because of your, the King James word is importunity. Or boldness, because of your boldness and continuing to come, I am going to take care of your problem. And Jesus said that's the way he is. When we continually come to him, he is going to intervene and take care of our problem. But it has to be a fervent prayer. It has to have some fervency and passion in what we are doing. He later would say, Jesus said, he said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And I don't want to get overly technical here, but the the, the verb form in the Greek means a continual seeking, a continual knocking, a continual asking. It's not a one-time event. It's not an occasional. It is an ongoing process. Lord, I need you to do this. I need you to fix this. I need you to intervene in this. It is fervent prayer that typically is what gets answered. 5.16 says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Which means the converse is true. Ineffectual or an unrighteous man praying haphazardly or just occasionally is not going to get answered. But he could have said just the effectual uh, prayer of a righteous man. But no, they put the adjective in there, the fervent prayer. Not just any prayer, but effectual 
fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I would tell you that God does sometimes answer one-off prayers. He does. There's this little thing about God, and, and that is that He's God. And He happens to be in control. And sometimes He just answers a prayer. You pray one time, and He's like, I just want you to know I was listening. And He answers, and I, I can't explain why He does that. But I also know that over and over, Jesus said, pray continually, seek continually, ask continually. But God sometimes does that. And I will even tell you that sometimes God answers prayers we don't even pray. I thought prayers and God answered. I don't know why he does it. Except that he loves us. And that he wants, to, he wants to answer. But when he doesn't, will we have the faith to keep seeking him? When he doesn't answer it immediately, when he doesn't answer it one time, will, he, will we keep after him and go, Lord, I know you didn't answer it yesterday, but I believe today is the day. So we don't pray for the sick one time, and if God doesn't heal them, say, oh, it must not be his will. No, we keep praying. And if God doesn't heal them and they pass away, then so be it. But we're going to believe that he's going to do it, and we're going to keep coming and petitioning him until we get an answer from him. That it's about seeking passionately, earnestly, fervently. There's an acronym people use sometimes called PUSH, pray until something happens. Don't just pray one time and give up. Don't just pray one time and just hope God will answer, but pray until something happens. Second principle I want to pull out from here is that answered prayer is accomplished in God's time. God could answer any time He wants. But the Bible says here that on the very night, not a week ahead of time. Not two days ahead of time. Not one day ahead of time. But on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, the angel of the Lord shows up. There's a song that we sing, He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. Anybody know that? I know, that. I know they know. Anybody else know that? He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Maybe we'll sing that at the end. Y'all be ready with that. God is never late, but he's seldom early. He is always right on time. That when he shows up, it's never past the time. But there is a certain element of this that is a trial of our faith and that he shows up right on time. He doesn't show up way before you need him, but he lets us go and, and lets us keep trying to build our faith and say, I believe he's going to show up when I need him to. And on the very night when they're going to come and get Peter, he shows up. He is an on-time God, and his, an answered prayer is always accomplished in His will. There is no test of faith if God answers everything immediately. And God is all about us putting our trust and our faith in Him. And if every time we have a problem, we say, Lord, i got this problem, and He immediately fixes it, that doesn't take much faith that after a while he becomes a genie in a bottle and we just say, oh, that's what I need. 
But when he doesn't do it when we want him to, but he does it in his timing, then guess what? It builds our faith, and we go, yeah, he's listening. He's going to come through, but he's going to do it in his time. There's that pesky little thing I mentioned. He just happens to be God. He answers when he wants to, and he answers why he wants to and how he wants to. I had a tax bill, uh, unexpected tax bill. We, of course, leased this building, and this little clause in the, the lease agreement says that if the taxes are more than the baseline tax of 2019, then every tenant on their property is going to pay a proportional amount of that tax increase by square footage. And I know this is being recorded out there. Millions are watching on Facebook and around the world. I don't like taxes. And taxes happen to go up, and they sent me a bill, said we owed a little over $2,000 more than our, our lease agreement. And I was like, well, you know, what are you going to do with that? It's taxes. So I, I sent back an email, and I, I said, well, just hit the hit the the payment we have on file when, it's, when it comes due, do it the day before. Don't do it early. I want to keep my money as long as possible. So they run, the, they run the payment. And when she does, the lady sends me back and said, well, you had this 500 and something dollar credit on your account. So you don't owe the full 2000 You owe just a little over 1500 And I was like, I don't know why I've got a credit. I'm not sending them extra money. I mean... I'm a nice guy, but I'm not that nice. So I have about 1500 left, and it's not that we didn't have the money. I just didn't want to spend the money. And then out of the blue, God provides a $500 offering. And I'm like, man, that's, we're only down 1000 And then two days after that, I get a, a phone call, and I was on the phone with somebody else. I get a phone call of a, from a pastor that said, that $1,000 we were going to send the church nine months ago, I just put it in the mail. And the reality is it's not that we didn't have the money. But God provided all of the $2,000 plus that we needed just right on time. Not last year, not two months ago, but when the bill was due. He is an on-time God, and He always answers in His time. The answered prayer is accomplished in God's time. Let me hurry. It's 11.24. Thirdly, answered prayer is accomplished God's way. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. And a light shone in the cell. And the angel struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. The angel said, Gird yourself. Put on your sandals. He did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you. It's an invisible cloak, by the way, and followed him. And he, he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by the, the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. I, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison, this is not exactly the prison escape I would be expecting. And this is not obviously the prison escape that Peter was expecting. He was probably expecting God just to move on Herod and Herod to come in and say, you know what, we changed our minds. We're not going to, to, to execute you. We're not going to persecute you. We're just going to let you go. 
But on that very night when Herod's getting ready to send, an angel shows up. And Peter doesn't even believe it's real. He thinks he is seeing a vision. He thinks it's just as all in his mind because he is expecting God to answer a different way. He's not expecting an angel. He's not expecting to be able to walk out of the, the prison right in front of the guards. He's, not a, he, he's invisible to them. The gate just opened by itself. He doesn't expect it that way. I don't know that I would be expecting it that way, so this is not a knock on Peter. But what I want you to understand is God answers in His way. He does things in His way. He never does them in our way. He never does them like we expect Him to. But invisible, He walks out of the prison. The guards standing there do not see Him. The gate just opens. They don't see the gate open. They just standing there. It's not unusual In the Bible, God blinds people's eyes and He opens other eyes. He's the God that can cause people to see or not to see. And and Jesus Himself, He's getting ready to be stoned by the crowd. And the Bible says He just passed through them. And what most people would tell you is that He didn't just turn like uh, invisible necessarily or immaterial. He could just walk through them, but they could not see Him. They're trying to stone Him, but they can't find Him. It's like what God did in Sodom and Gomorrah, the the men of the city, they're coming to molest the angels of God who are there. And the Bible says they blinded their eyes and they're groping outside the house. God does this and the prison guards are no doubt blinded by the power of God and Peter just walks out. And it's not until he's outside in one street down the road that he's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is really real. But when we look for God to answer in a certain way, and in a precise way, and we look for God to answer how we want Him to, we often miss His answer. We miss what God is doing, and then when we miss what He's doing, we then fail to give Him praise because we don't believe that He did anything. I probably told this story, and I'm going to do it real quick. I had about $3,500 saved up at one point. And I was, gonna, I was saving it for a, a newer car. I was uh, working for a Bible college, and it was the epitome of nonprofit. Uh, we, we made no money. And, and I needed a vehicle, and I had this money. And I think I told this recently in one of our small groups, but I, but I had this money set aside. God spoke to me and said, I'm going to provide a car. Okay? Uh, and he, and he, he basically... I'm still holding on this money. Two months later, I said, Lord, I'm trusting you for a car. And he said, why do you still have this money? Because I'm really trusting that money for my car because God may not come through. So I, I, he, he basically tells me to give the money. I give the money away to, to missions. And I'm expecting the moment I give it away to missions that somebody's going to come up and give me keys. That I just know if they're listening to the voice of God, the way he's going to provide, he's going to give me keys. He doesn't do that. But I'm thinking all these people are being unspiritual because they're not, they're not giving me a car. Obviously, that's what God wants. But it just happens that I get a raise in the interim. And as I, I'm driving to Indiana where my brother lives to visit my brother, the car that I have, on the way there, the rack and pinion goes out. We're pulling off on an exit to get some gas. The rack and pinion locks up, and I'm like, man, we're in trouble. And then it frees up, and I go to a pay phone. No, no cell phone. I call him. 
said, if I'm not there in two hours, man, come looking for me. Something's happened. Get back in the car, drive to Indiana, miss his street. It's, it, it's dark, no, no, no lights out there. I miss his street. I'm turning around, and it locks up. This time it's like two or three minutes or more. It's like it won't, it won't nothing will turn. And, and we had been praying, and I know this is crazy, but for a Pontiac Bonneville. I was like, well, if I'm going to have a car, I want it to be bigger than this Honda we're driving, and I want it to, and, and me or my wife wants them in this nice hunter green color they've got would be great. The, power, the rack and pinion finally straightens up a little bit. We pull into his driveway. Now, he sells used cars. In his driveway is a green Pontiac Bonneville. And I pulled in and said, man, we're driving that home. We drove it home, didn't do any paperwork until after we went back to St. Louis. And when everything was said and done, the extra insurance and the payment were exactly the amount of the raise I had left over after tithes and taxes. And I was like, all right, God provided the car. He didn't do it like I thought he was going to do it. He didn't just have somebody walk up and give keys. And I've heard those stories all my life. Somebody come up, hey, the Lord told me to give you this car. That's not the way God did it. But I could have missed out on what he was doing. I was like, well, God didn't answer. I had to buy my own car. And instead, God said, I gave you the money to have this car. And so God answers prayer in his way. He accomplishes it in his way. Fourthly, answered prayer should be anticipated. And I've got to hurry. When Peter comes to himself, he goes to the house of Mary, John Mark's mother. He knocks on the door. Rhoda comes out. And, and, and you've got to understand the way houses are. Then they have an outer gate. It's not the door of the house. They have an outer gate on the courtyard that they keep locked. And he knocks on the outer gate and Rhoda comes out of the house where they're in there praying for Peter to be released. They're praying, Lord, save Peter. Lord, get him out of prison. Rhoda comes out of that prayer meeting. She sees Peter there. She hear, recognizes his voice. She's so excited, she doesn't open it. The gate, and she goes back in and tells the people, hey, Peter is at the gate. And they say, you are out of your mind. That the very people praying for him to be released did not believe God was really going to do it. And maybe it's, that the, it's maybe not that they didn't believe he would. It's just that he did it in a different way. And so they said, it can't be. It's got to be his angel. Like I said, I'm not going to get into all that. You can ask me about that afterwards if you want to know my theological opinion on why they would think it's his angel. But they said, it can't be Peter He's still in prison. We're praying for him to get out, but I can't be him because he's over there locked up in prison. I would tell you this, that when we don't anticipate God's answer, we often miss it. And when we don't anticipate him actually and having expectation that God is going to do something, he frequently doesn't. And, and I think this passage is in the Bible to show us that God is gracious and merciful, but I think it's also in there to tell us we should anticipate God answering prayer. That we're not just going through emotion and going through rituals. We're not just doing a rosary and repeating the same thing over. We're not doing vain repetition, but we have a God who hears us when we pray. And the Bible says that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, we have whatsoever we ask of Him. I don't pray and expect God to do nothing. 
there are probably times when I do, and it's like, I don't, man, I don't really know. But most of the time, if I'm praying, it's because I expect Him to hear, and I expect Him to answer. I expect Him to work. And He's always going to do it in His time and in His way. Lastly, answered prayer should be coupled with wisdom. The worship team would come. But motioning to them with his hand, they came out to see Peter and he said, no, no. He motions with them with his hand and he said, report these things to James. Now this is James, the brother of Jesus, not James, the brother of John, who's already been put to death. But James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, is the head of the church in Jerusalem. He says, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. And Herod sent his soldiers out looking for Peter. So Peter, understanding that he wasn't set free from prison by Herod, he was set free from prison by Jesus, knew that Herod was going to be looking for him. And so he's, he, in his wisdom, he doesn't stay with them. He goes into hiding in another place. Here's what I want you to understand about this. It's that God doesn't always answer the same prayer every time you need it. Sometimes he answers a prayer and he expects us to be wise. He expects us to learn from the answer. That if we get ourselves in, a, in a, a, a bad spot, for instance, we get ourselves in a bad spot financially and God bails us out, you don't go out and run your credit cards up again and say, oh, God will take care of it. No, you're like, I, th- I think I should take care of my finances so I don't get into that position again. And for Peter, he's like, I'm not going to put myself in a place where Herod can get a hold of me again. I'm not, I'm not going to have to get to the night before an execution and hope God sends an angel again. That he couples God's answered prayer with wisdom. Jesus, when he does the miracle of the loaves and fish, he does it with 5,000, he does it with 4,000. And... But after the miracle of the 5,000 specifically, the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves of fish, he tells the disciples, he says, go and gather up all the fragments that remain. Don't leave anything out there they take up 12 basketfuls of food people have speculated various reasons why he had them collect this food some would say it's because when he does the miracle he, he changes the food so then it's torn it multiplies the loaves multiply and the fish multiply and He could do that, but he could also then change it right back so it didn't keep multiplying. I think the reason, though, that he has them gather the baskets of leftovers is because tomorrow there's not going to be a miracle of the loaves and the fish. 
they're going to be hungry tomorrow. They need food tomorrow. He says, gather what's left so that I'm not having to do a miracle again tomorrow. Not that he can't do a miracle, not that he's limited on the number of miracles, but he's like, use wisdom. Don't go put yourself out in the square in front of Herod's palace and be preaching the gospel again. You're going to be back in prison. That when God answers prayer, be wise. If you do something to your body, you injure yourself, God heals you. Stop doing what you were doing to hurt yourself. Instead of going, hey God, just come on, keep doing it for me. Every two weeks I need this miracle. Every two weeks I need you to intervene and answer this prayer. God doesn't work that way. We are to couple prayer, answered prayer with wisdom. Would you stand together? Answered prayer is usually fervent prayer. Answered prayer is accomplished in God's time and it's accomplished in God's way. Answered prayer should be anticipated and answered prayer should be coupled with wisdom. The Bible lets us know that God does indeed answer the prayers of His people. And in that simple statement, there is a word that's super important. It is His God sometimes answers prayer of people who are not His. That's in part what brings people to Jesus. But He's specifically a God who answers the prayer of His people. And in order to be His people, we have to walk with Him. We have to be in relationship with Him. We have to have experienced His salvation. We do that when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and apply it to our lives through repentance, through the infilling of the Holy Spirit and through water baptism in Jesus' name. He is a God who answers prayer. And I would tell you, if you're not sure that you're one of His people today, you can be. All you have to do is tell Him you're sorry for doing things your way. You're sorry for the things you've done that are against Him. And you want to follow Him and serve Him and invite Him to come and fill your heart and life with the power of the Holy Spirit. Evidence, speaking in other tongues, you can be baptized in the name of Jesus to wash all of your sins away. And I would venture to say most of you in this room, you've already done that. He is a God who answers prayers of His people. The Bible says in James that we do not have because we do not ask. That we need God to do things, but we fail to ask Him to intervene. We fail to ask Him to answer. We fail to ask Him to participate. And then He goes one step further and He says, even when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. I would tell you that you need to ask God with right motives, but you need to ask Him for what you need because He is a God who chooses to answer prayer. James 5, that Elijah was a man 
with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And I would tell you that most of our needs are nothing so drastic as a regional drought. That we're not asking God to change nature. We just need His help in this area. Or we need His deliverance over here. We need His provision. We need a job. We need this or that. We need His healing. His healing. He can, if He can stop the rain from the prayers of one man and He can start the rain again, then your prayers matter to God and He wants to answer them. But I would tell you that you should pray with expectation that He is going to answer believe he will answer would you lift your hands right now to the lord and whatever you need would you just talk to him about it jesus we need you to be at work in us we need you to be at work